The world wants you to be afraid. And they are doing everything they can to make you afraid. And good people want you to be afraid. And if you're not afraid, they'll tell you, you just, you're not taking it seriously. You need to have some more of the facts. I have been pummeled this year. Not just for the American election, but also for the Scottish referendum on independence. And then on Brexit. The number of emails and calls and texts I've gotten saying, you need to take a stand on these things. And now we're in this particular season. If you've not noticed, there's an election coming up. Um, it's been in a couple of the papers. And there's you know, FBIF investigations. And are there ramifications? Absolutely. If this one wins, this is going to happen. If that one wins, this is going to happen. The third party's not going to win, but it could be a protest vote or whatever. And people will say, well, that needs to happen. And you need to talk about it. And you need to understand what... I got that. But there's something else I've got. I've already got a king. His name is Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to be afraid. First, we breathe. Take a good breath. Remember the most often given command from the lips of Jesus Christ. Fear not. Remember how he came to us the night of his birth with angels announcing in the heavens peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. We will get through this season. We will get to the next season. We will get to the season after that one. But I am defining we as the people of God. There are no guarantees that any nation will live forever. And so far, none have. As I said at the communion, the only nation that's lasted 2,000 years is the Christian one. Nobody lasts long. We want this world to be heaven for our children, heaven for our grandchildren, but the fact remains that it isn't yet. Our job is to be light and salt and redeem the earth. And we'll do that. I have no doubt. I've had people say, you really need to get on the Christians. Because if Christians had been better Christians, we wouldn't be having all these problems. You know something? When you're struggling, the worst thing to do is to turn to somebody who's in the foxhole with you and punch them. No, thank you. I love Christians. I love who you are. I love you even when you're, in afraid, when you're afraid. Two simple verses. Luke 17. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is not something that will be voted in or voted out. It is not something that the Supreme Court will back up or deny. The kingdom of God is already here. And it will be here when there is no Supreme Court. It will be here forever. Jesus wasn't in a bubble, by the way. I've had people say, but there are real problems today. Have you read history? <laughs> Jesus wasn't born in a bubble. He was in a world with real problems. Problems that sound a great deal like the ones 
we face. So let's do this. I'm going to do a little data dump here, which means that you might be a bit confused at the end of it, but that's the point. It's not simple. The Jews were scattered. Foreign domination and a wrecked economy had scattered the Jews all over the Roman Empire and perhaps beyond. Remember in Acts chapter 2 when Peter and the apostles preach that the Jews that have gathered there to worship are from 12 different nations speaking 12 different languages. They're not united anymore, not as much as they used to be. They're united somewhat by their faith, but even that, not so much. They're divided by national names. They're divided by national languages. They're divided by traditions. This is the reality that they faced. If you don't understand how that could get to you, you, need, you do need to travel the world a bit. I can remember I had a friend from, of mine from Scotland come once at a church where I was working, and it was near July the 4th, and so the, the song leader got up. It was a church that had song leaders instead of worship teams. He got up, and he led several songs like My Country, Tess of Thee, and America the Beautiful. And my friend looked at me, and he says, when do I get to worship? Well, Divided. They were divided. By the way, when he started singing my country, Tis of Thee, he thought, oh, God save the queen. Oh, wait, no, they changed the words. So, um, <laughs> anyway, scattered all over. There were, there were 11 or 12, it's, it's disputed, 11 or 12 synagogues in Rome. The Jews were everywhere. Scattered, yes. Assimilated, most of them not. Some wanted to be. Some Jews wanted to be just like the modern everyday people and dress like them and act like them and think like them and believe like them. But even then, there was enough differences about the Jews to make it noticeable that they weren't like everybody else. Their differences, listen this very carefully, their differences made them the target of persecution from time to time. But it also made them a more visible witness of their faith. Listen up, people. That's how this works. If we are different from the world, we will take incoming fire. But we also will be different enough to be a witness to the world. So if you're taking fire, you might be doing the right thing. As the book of Job shows us, when all hell breaks loose, it might be because you're doing it right. Take care and fear not. And... Northern Africa, there were more than a million Jews living there, and a lot of Gentiles were coming into the faith. That's where the Septuagint was written, the version of the Bible that was Paul's favorite to quote. It's where John Mark came from, who often worked with Paul or Barnabas, and who wrote the book of Mark, which was the recollections of Peter, the apostle. All that came from North Africa. They were scattered. Oh, no, but look at the good that happened. But let's get this understood. The Roman Empire was pagan from top to bottom. There were some atheists in the Roman Empire, but even they did all of the activities, and there were lots. In America, before you have a sporting event, you play the national anthem or someone sings the national anthem. Uh, it is, it's a tradition. It's a fine tradition, so it is. But I want you to think about this. What if it wasn't the national anthem? What if it was a song thanking the gods of Washington. And then there was a sacrifice of some poor goat or something, and then you played the game. Every Roman 
business deal had pagan prayers attached. Every Roman social event had pagan, uh, pagan prayers and ceremonies attached. Every Roman sporting event, every Roman holiday, every Roman, <coughs> excuse me, everything, the birth of a child, the funeral, everything had prayers to pagan gods, sacrifices to pagan gods. And if you did not participate, you're marked as odd, dangerous. You're, you might be a divider in the community. Somewhat like Christians could be today if we don't agree with new bathroom rules in schools or Target and we don't agree with this side or the other. We can be looked upon as a danger to the community. Well... We've always been a danger. In fact, it was pagan society, in a pagan society rather, refusing to join into these things was looked upon as treasonous. Un-Roman, shall we say. The only reason that the Jews in Palestine were not hunted and killed was because through a series of historical events, they had been given a bit more leeway than most of the other nations in the Roman Empire. But they had to pay taxes to support the pagan temples. They had to pay extra taxes because they weren't like the Romans. Very much like Christians have to do, or Jews, when they live under Muslim uh, sovereignty. They have to pay the demi tax, which is a heavy tax that you have to pay because you're a danger. You're not one of us. And the Jews paid taxes to fund Roman temples. Do you remember when they came up to Jesus and said, your apostles aren't paying taxes. So he sent them fishing to get the money. I like that. He didn't just make money appear out of nowhere. They worked, but the, you know, made the fish cough up the coinage. But again, you remember what he said when he looked at the coin? He says, whose image is that? They said, Caesar's. He said, then it belongs to him. We're not worried about money. We're not worried about power. That's not who we are. The Jews were not popular with others because they were different. Some Jews weren't popular with other Jews because these Jews looked upon those Jews as collaborators. What did Jesus do about that? Have you ever noticed when he picked apostles, he picked enemies. He picked zealots who carried concealed weapons that, and that was against the law. There was, you were not allowed to carry concealed weapons, but they did. And what they did with them? They stabbed and killed Roman collaborators and the Jews that worked with them like tax collectors. Who did Jesus pick, pick next? A tax collector. How much sleep did Matthew get the first few weeks? <laughs> Hi, Matthew. This is James and John. Hey, Matthew. It's good to meet you. Have a, we'll take first watch. We'll wake you up when it's ready. I, Jesus seemed to have no interest in our divisions. None. Remember that, Christians. And remember this. When Jesus was born, the Roman Empire itself was in turmoil because it was an empire. Let me explain. Until 27 BC, it was a republic. A republic is a good thing. A republic is when everybody's rights are respected. It amazes me. So many Americans think you've got a democracy. You don't have a democracy, and you shouldn't have a democracy if you have a democracy, it's mob rule. If we have 600 people in here and 301 vote to kill the other 299, that's democracy. But in a republic, we get 599 vote to kill the one, but the one still has rights. 
And that was, the, that was the Roman Republic until 27 BC when Julius Caesar declared himself the sole leader and the god of the Romans. And from then on, it all changed. And the Roman Empire still had not absorbed all of the changes. It was a very fearful time. The Jews had rebelled before Jesus, so Rome decided to put the Herod family in to rule them. And it, I don't think of the worst ruler you can think of in the history of time. Double it. That's the Herods. And the Herods, once they were gone, the Jews said, we don't want any more Herods. And so they sent governors like Pontius Pilate in there instead. The zealots formed to oppose them. But the zealots weren't the only division among the Jews. They're, they were sharp, the Jews were sharply divided, as are Christians at every election. And I'm aware that if you're on one side, you're thinking, how can a Christian vote for? I get that. I get the emails. I do. Uh, I, I have a delete button which is worn off of, of my computer. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> hey, people, if there's a sewage pipe that enters your room, your living room, you don't have to open it. And if that sewage pipe is your internet connection, your radio signal, or your television, you don't have to turn it on. You're in charge. Well, there are also scribes, teachers of the law. But here you go. Everybody had their own scribes. Everybody had a group of the scribes that said, my side's right. Well, then you had the Pharisees. Pharisees were far right. They were very highly conservative. They wanted to live pure, absolutely pure lives because if they did that just exactly right, then, then God would send the Messiah. Then over here you had on the religious left, the Sadducees. They didn't believe in anything. They believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They did not believe in the others. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in resurrection uh, that's how they're easy to remember that way because that's why they were sad, you see. They didn't, they didn't believe in the eternal life. I don't have a Pharisee one, sorry. Uh, they, they, they were the religious left, the religious right with the Pharisees. They both had scribes to back them up. Scribes are often called rabbi. And so you notice that everybody, people on all sides called Jesus rabbi, trying to get him over to their side. Well, Sadducees were priestly, diplomatic, um, very much the intelligentsia of their day. Pharisees were a little tougher, strict separatist, zero accommodation with the Romans or with anybody else. We won't go to their church. We won't be anything like them. Sounds very familiar. A lot of Christians went the Pharisee route. Well, then there was another group called the Essenes. They believed the Messiah would not come until the Jewish people practiced absolute purity. So they lived like monks, went off into the desert, swore off sex, and there are no more Essenes. <laughs> you can't create vacation Bible school if there's not an incoming group. It's biology. Science rears its head again. And Jesus walked right into the middle of all of this. And he didn't, listen to me carefully, church. He said, follow me. He didn't engage with anything remotely resembling politics. Now, when I say that, people will come to me and say, but he was concerned about justice. 
Yes, he was. But he never, ever looked for or called for a political solution to justice. Let me explain what I mean. Two of my friends are sitting right here. We have Matthew and John. Let's say that Matthew is a poor man, and I look at Matthew, and my heart is touched. It's a good heart. I have a good heart, and my heart is touched. He's hungry. So I go to John, and I say, you give him money. That's the political situation. That's a political thing where we say, I'm going to vote that that problem be taken care of. Jesus never did that. He said, Patrick, you feed Matthew. You are the solution. What about racism? You are the solution. Make all the laws you want to. Has that ended racism? No. The only thing to end racism is when you end racism. One-on-one, one person at a time. That's how we solve poverty. That's how we solve our problems. How do, what about the health care crisis? What if we took care of each other? What a radical concept. What about insurance? What if we just promised to look after each other and did it? That's what Jesus called for. Not, let's make a law and let the tanks roll to enforce it. But you do that. Look in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, and then chapter 9, 1 through 6. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. Now let's take a look at what that is. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. Let's take care of each other. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Let's take care of each other. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Why? We're going to take care of each other. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Don't go be looking for better stuff all the time. Like what you've got. And if people do not welcome you, leave their, you know, call in an airstrike and kill them. No, hang on. Leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And that is what we were told is the kingdom of God. You go take care of each other. You don't get angry. If they reject you, just shake that off of you, walk away and keep doing good. That's our solution. And it doesn't change every 4th November. The coming of the kingdom of God is an otherworldly event. Look in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, Sovereign power, all nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We're already in that one. Let's stay in that one. That one which will never be destroyed. That's, you know, think of, uh, it's not, a, not on a slide, but in Philippians chapter 2, we're told that at his name, Every knee shall bow. My advice, bow now and avoid the rush. Get there now. This kingdom 
transcends human systems. It's not of this world. It doesn't have worldly pomp. It is matched. It is, it is known by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This disappointed, this news of Jesus disappointed every group we've named. The Zealots, the Essenes, the Scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, and the Jewish people as a whole in Jerusalem and those that were scattered in the diaspora to the furthest parts of the empire. They were all disappointed by this. And when somebody asked me today what I thought the reaction to the sermon today was going to be, I said, mass disappointment. Everybody on every side will be disappointed because I'm not going to cheer for your team because our team We've already got a team. Jesus Christ is our team. You are my team. I'll cheer for you. You know something? I can't solve Washington, but if you're hungry, I can probably buy you a meal. I, I cannot solve unemployment, but if you need a job, I can network. I can help you find skills or people that can get you to find skills. We can work together and get it done because this is our team. We're set up to be an alternative to the world that is so stark, it's like salt and light. Now, in science, we call salt and light positive forces, which means they always change the equation. You have to factor them in or out. So when salt enters an equation, it changes it. When light enters or leaves an equation, it changes it. We're to change this world by the way we live. Once upon a time, God made man in his image. And since then, man has been trying to return the favor. Don't. You cannot make God in your image. He's not interested in the makeover. What stuns me about all of this, and it does stun me, especially when I get riled up. I get riled up sometimes. It's hard to tell because this is me angry. This is me happy. This is me calm. This is, but inside, it's just, it, it's like aliens. You know, it, it, that happens. But what stuns me about all of this is that Jesus and his disciples never once, never once tried to redeem human systems or gain control of them. Brothers and sisters, I know 60 million babies have been killed in America in abortion. That's beyond, beyond evil. But voting hasn't changed that. The eight years of President Reagan, the number of abortions went up. Why? Because it's not Reagan and it's not who's in there. It's the whole system. We need to remember this. This is why David Lipscomb, who uh, many of you may have heard of, a school of some sort was named after him, I believe, refused to vote at all, and in fact said Christians should just step away from all civil government. I'm not there. I'm not where he is, but I think every Christian should read his treatise on the Christian and civil government, and also read the one done by Alexander Campbell, who had a hand in starting this church. But they didn't try to get control. What they did speak of was justice and mercy and taking care of the poor, and they made that an individual and a church responsibility. They never spoke of government doing it. It was us. 
Randy Harris, an amazing man, says a lot of things that I wish I said to the point where I've wondered if I could get away by saying I said it first, but I can't. One of the things that he said to a group of people in our city, he said, too many of you are not looking forward to heaven because it'll be a cut in your standard of living. And then he spoke to them about, you don't have so that you can have. You will have, according to scripture, so that you may give to those who have not. Wow. There goes all the commercials about stacking up your gold. Besides, by the way, if gold was the only valuable thing out there, they wouldn't trade it for your valueless money. Think about it. Never once did they say, let's march against the government. Never once did they say, grab your, your swords, let's kill some policemen. Never once did Paul say that Rome did not have the right to kill him. Even as he was sitting in prison, knowing execution was coming, he never said one word at saying that Rome didn't have the right to do this to him. He did, he did call upon his rights as a Roman citizen when he was mistreated at one time. But when those rights were applied and still they have the right to kill him, he didn't fight that. Okay. He said, I'm ready to be poured out as an offering. I'm ready. I've finished my course. To this day, it troubles us, if we're honest. To this day, we want Jesus to come back and rule over an earthly kingdom. To this day, we want so much to have a shot at the pagans. Maybe not you, but I'm saying Christianity is a, is a large thing. Think about it. How many of them are preaching sermons constantly about a major battle in a tiny valley by a hill called Harmagedon. They'll call it Armageddon. But what about that final battle at the end of the world? I don't believe that that's what the Bible says is going to happen, by the way. But even if it were, why are you looking forward to it? Is it because you really wanted to get a chance to grab a sword and whack somebody from the ACLU or something? Really? That's not who we are. The Bible, in fact, says if you have an enemy, do good for them and pray for them. That's a shocker, but it's supposed to be. Some people talk about the end of the world when Jesus is going to unleash his angels on the earth and gain control over the very territory he said was not his kingdom. And these voices get louder every election year. But Jesus' kingdom has always been, always been different from our ideas of kingdom. Give us a king, they said. So he let them have one, but he said, if you do, you get a king, he's going to tax you, he's going to take your stuff, he's going to send your sons to war, he's going to take your daughters, and everything that Jesus, that God told Israel was going to happen, happens every time we grab a king. Now you might think, we don't have kings here. Oh, yes, you do. They don't follow the same laws you do in Washington. They're not amenable to it. Senators don't have to pay into Social Security and a hundred of other things. That they, they're not, they get to ride in limos. They get to eat better food than you. And the same families keep getting elected. I thought you guys didn't like a monarchy. But we do, don't we? And God says, no, don't do that. 
Don't be impressed by the world. God's people are not a race. They are not a gender. They are whosoever will may come. What a borderless kingdom. His law is the word of God spoken to us through the Holy Spirit. He is its only king and only he is to be worshipped as Lord. There is no room for human power mongers. There is no room for those who jockey for earthly power in our hearts or in our churches. I thank God that in this church, we don't have a shepherd who tries to get power over the other shepherds. That's shockingly rare. But in this church, we don't have that. And you guys don't look upon me as king or leader. I'm Patrick, and I'm, I'm as frail as you are. And if I haven't disappointed you yet, I will. Give me time. Because I'm just one of you. We have no king but Jesus. Paul warned Timothy as he was sitting in prison ready to be killed. What did he say? You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things you've heard from me, say in the presence of many witnesses. Don't hide this. And trust reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering. Notice he didn't say, vote to make sure no more, this doesn't happen again. Join with me in suffering. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Watch this verse carefully. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. But rather tries to please his commanding officer. Don't let yourself get wrapped around the axle of the world. Don't get so involved in human affairs. Jesus, in every 4th November, I can tell you what's going to happen a week from Wednesday. You are going to wake up, and Jesus will still be king. Don't act like you don't believe that. Don't act fearful. Other people do that. We don't do that. Mark, go ahead and bring your team up. There's an old expression that you, nobody ever steps in the same river twice. You know what that means, right? Because water moves on. And every time you've stepped in it again, it's different water. Well, that's the way it is in the world. Wind and water, they move on. And everything else in the world is wind and water. It passes along, but the truth remains. Would you stand with me, please? The admonition for this week and for every week is to remember this. Nations rise, nations fall, but our task never changes. Follow him. Reflect him. Love God. Love each other. And let the kingdom of God reign in your heart. And the whole church says...